Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick from Mafia. Yes, that music can only mean one thing. The Oz Football Hour back on the Football Nation Radio Airwaves from 6 to 7. And I was getting prepared to do a solo show because my man, man, standing to my right, Josh Parrish, has been in Canberra this weekend and... Yes, not the that, notable home of no, A-League I, men's I football. Was, look, I was expecting to see his name on the uh, the radio starting lineup, and not long before I get a uh, a message from the chairman of the station saying, Josh has actually changed his mind. The flight's a little bit too long back to <laughs> Melbourne. He's going to be staying put. Hold on. I just had a message from Tony Pinata. It was just an injury thing. Josh uh-huh. is back, and he is here to join me on the Football Oz Hour. I'm, of course, making a little bit of fun of the Daniel Sturridge situation over the weekend. Will he play? Won't he play? The answer was no. And uh, I think a few people were left a little bit disappointed. A few people left with egg on their face. Um, but that was just one of a great many weird, wacky and wonderful things that happened across the weekend, Josh Parrish. Yeah, very odd. Uh, I know the flight from Canberra is gruelling, but uh, participating in a radio <laughs> a show long haul doesn't journey. usually require, you know, I mean, the lactic acid buildup obviously will affect my performance tonight. You know, I've been stuck in a, a tube with uh, not much ventilation. Uh, thoughts to be fair, of... I did, did get see you getting a pretty good workout from the FNR physio team before. So. <laughs> I'll rub down, you know, the the, the old uh, Omicron is, is sort of lingering at the back of your mind. So there's a bit of a mental doubt there to my participation, uh, having, you know, flown in an aeroplane. But look, has Daniel Sturridge looked at a map of Australia and does he know where Perth is? Or has he been... Uh, given a rude awakening feel, I, this weekend. I, I feel like the d- does he have a map question is making me think of uh, one of our favourites here on, on, on the station, the dearly departed. Oh, he's, not, he's not dead. He's just <laughs> not in Australia anymore. Uh, uh, Marcus Babel, you know, does Daniel Sturridge have two eyes? Does he a- understand geography a bit? <laughs> Appar- apparently not, depending on who you ask. But, of course, Tony Pinata and Daniel Sturridge mm. himself very quickly uh, clearing up this, this uh, uh, mistruth that, his absence on Friday night was down to a desire to, or not not being feeling good after taking a long flight, that sort of thing. But it wasn't true. He was just being managed, and Richie Garcia ended up saying, you know, if it wasn't for all the fans at HBF last week, he probably wouldn't have played. And of course, he did not play this weekend in the game against Western United, which is where we start. But before mm. that, I will let you know we'll be going through the games uh, for two of the Melbourne teams. To start things off, then we're going to head to a quick break. And joining us on the other side of that will be ESPN's, the National Curriculums, and the inventor of the Name Recognition Index, Ante Jukic, will join us from 6.15 to go through probably the two biggest games of the week. And in fact, probably the, the three, actually. We had Western Sydney, we'll have Western Sydney Wanderers and the Newcastle Jets, of course, probably the game of the round. Uh, the Popolution continuing, he is at the wheel, depending on who you ask. And uh, we'll, we'll be chatting a bit of penalty uh, strategy mm. when we come to talk about Central Coast Mariners and Wellington. But we'll start with Friday night. It was a 1-0 win for Western United against Perth Glory. The news of Daniel Sturridge not being available, not even making the starting lineup coming quite late. There were a few people sitting around the stadium. Of course, it wasn't a huge turnout, but some were decked out in their Liverpool gear. 
Do you think, Josh, this is my immediate impression, do you think anyone who saw the starting lineup that might have just been a casual passing Liverpool supporter had purchased a ticket, saw that Daniel Sturridge is not only nowhere to be found in the starting 11, but not on the bench, and uh, left? Uh, I... Do you think there was at least one Liverpool supporter who did that? Because I, I like to think that there was, just for the pure hilarity of it. I was immediately reminded of uh, Otto from The Simpsons in the Stoner's <laughs> Pot Palace walking out of the crockery store and saying, man, that's flagrant false advertising. I mean, was anyone walking out of Amy Park and, and yelling the same after that 90 minutes in which... Well, the other thing about Amy Park at the moment is the way it's run is, is you can't get back. There's no pass out. No. You just, you're, you're out and you, you don't get back in. I think there might have been a few Liverpool fans with Sturridge 15 on their backs who just said... A bit like Lockie on a Friday night. He doesn't get back in. They don't, yeah. they don't let him, yeah. especially when he's wearing shorts. Especially when you get stood up by your dad. But that was a story <laughs> That was a story for last episode. But, Josh, even without the whole Sturridge scenario, this was a, a, a probably a – if I was being charitable, I would describe it as a difficult game for the neutral. And I, I think the, the one patch of play in this game that probably summed it up no better than any other was the 24th minute, a free kick to Bruno Fornaroli. You know, usually that's a situation that the average fan, uh, given the, the qualities he has, is getting quite excited about. He puts the free kick into the wall and then sends his rebound into the first man. So two consecutive blocks, and that felt like a pretty good way to surmise this game. But what did you make of it? Uh, misfiring all over the park. Yeah. I mean, Fornaroli had a great chance, put through by, by Sardinero. We've, we've doubted his playmaker credentials just based on the positions he's taken up for past clubs, but that was a lovely through ball. Probably the moment of quality in the match mm. that set Fornaroli through, and usually he would bury that chance. He did not. It was a very average game, dire uh, in terms of uh, attacking opportunities, few and far between. And you know, Perth Glory, with all of their attacking uh, tools available, are choosing to play very few of them at the same time, which is kind of what we predicted in our season preview. Yeah, well, I, I was saying that. No moment predicted or summed up this game better than that for Nerali. But I think no team selection summed up this game or what was to come in this game better than Jack Clisby playing on the left side of the attack. Richie Garcia. Come on. I, I love you. I, I, I was, a, was a Melbourne Heart fan back in the day. I loved the, you know, the season where you were our best player and you scored six goals. But come on. Ha- have a word. Jack Clisby... I am probably a bigger fan of Jack Clisby than most, but even I draw the line at Jack Clisby in, in the left side of midfield. Hey, he can take a set piece, Clisby. Underrated set piece. No, 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 I will agree with you on that. In terms of his corners and his free kick delivery, maybe not so much in uh, open play yeah. and especially not within an advanced starting position and less space to operate in. Not not a technician, Jack Clisby. Yeah, but I, I think that was probably the overwhelming read of this game as two teams very much still not the finished article still clicking i mean perth- was it a back four or a back three though with with the way perth set up because it seems to be a little bit fluid i mean uh latchman and not lockman well, as i've been calling him <laughs> unfortunately homage to you uh but daryl Lott- Lott- latchman uh seems to be stepping into midfield a little bit as a holding mid yeah, which well, shows the paucity of options available uh otter playing seemingly is a bit of a left-sided centre half at times, certainly week one, which seems mm. a waste of his attacking talents yeah, to me. And then uh, Burke Gilroy seemingly at home and the only player playing in position uh, <laughs> at right wing back. Yeah. I, I, I think that that was uh, even confused. You know, uh, the Paramount Plus coverage had it mm-hmm. lining up with, 
with Lockman or Latchman in, in, in midfield as well. And it did seem to fluctuate between the two throughout the game. I thought, yeah, when Sardinero came off, he did show a few glimpses of what he might be able to do through the centre. But, yeah, Perth are just still a, a few things away from, I think, being quite the finished article. And, and honestly, Western United didn't, I think, offer much until really the most important change of this game other than maybe you know Luke Bodnar getting himself injured. He was doing quite a good job covering Diamante and then had to come off later into the game, um, was was Dylan Wenzel-Halls coming on for Previch. I thought him coming on, the extra energy that he provided, I mean, mm-hmm. shock horror, youth player energy off the bench. We've heard that story in the A-League before. But he was really good. He, he changed the dynamic completely. My only regret is that we're yet to see Previch and Dylan Wenzel-Halls play together. And that, I think, is something for John Aloisi to think about mm, uh, going into the next match day. I mean... Uh, how would they function together in the same lineup? Do they switch formation to a four-four-two with Diamante in the team? Very, very unlikely. Uh, maybe four-two-three-one with Winslow Halls off the left, which is what I suggested at the start of the season. Him cutting inside mm. and Garuccio providing the width because Winslow Halls plays well when he's got a target uh, to aim at. I suppose a striker who will bounce balls off him and, and be the focal point of the attack and play with his back to goal and, and Wenzel Halls can run at defenders and do what he does best. Obviously, he doesn't need uh, that situation later in games because there's simply more space for him to play facing the goal. Um, mm. But And, you know, youth, energy, well, I, I, impact player. Look, I, I see what you're saying about the left-hand side. I would like to see him play two up top together i know it would require deviance from the the you know prayer hands emoji stock standard bless up four two three one that that every Mm. almost every elite coach uh likes to likes to get amongst and john are you suggesting a similarly uh pro forma for triple two but think about no i'm not i'm not doing i refuse to (laughs) do that play diamante if it's four four two that's that's true. Unless you play a diamond. Well, well, and then Josh, you're dropping Josh, whales uh, and I, pain. I know that I have basically in the intro music for this show created a shrine to the man. But can I say, sometimes Diamante could could probably be on the bench. He Oof. could maybe spend a bit Oof. of time coming off the bench. And, jo- and uh, no, the thing is, the thing is, John Aloisi has said that it will happen this season. There will be mm. times where so maybe maybe them the Previch and. Wenzel Hall's starting together, the potential of a 4-4-2 isn't something we'll see for a long time down the track. But there will be a time where Diamante will have to be managed. There'll be a time where Alex Prijevic is at full fitness, is able to run out full games, and you know, the same for, for Dylan Wenzel Hall. So I think it's something maybe to consider down the line. Because, I mean, DWH did such a good job playing in a strike partnership mm. at previous clubs. It really brought the best out of him playing with a more experienced head like Scott McDonald. I mean, I see no reason why he couldn't generate that same sort of benefit with Dylan Wenzel-Halls. But I think... There's one other option we're not considering, though. Please. And dare I suggest a uh, back-to-the-future Mark Rudan-esque setup, but 3-5-2. 3-5-2? Diamante in the hole. 3-4-1-2, more accurately. It's true. Uh, I, I'm I mean, hearing I, it more and more. I, I, look, I, th- I think... I think on They obviously got the win in this game. It did mm. come in controversial circumstances, of course. I, I, think, I think most other... That pod- was out of bounds. I, I think most other, most other Australian football podcasts have probably dug into that one mm. enough. I think we can leave it to, to one side. Most people have either made their minds up one way or the other. But, um, yeah, I just... I Even though they did get the win in this game, I'm still... Yeah, still still tossing up. Yeah, still tossing up Western United, and I think the midfield is another area that 
might need some rejigging. We're not sure about what's happening with Rene Grahin. We know he's got a lot of recovery to do from his experiences in lockdown, but I just it just feels to me like that midfield could... could Have you got be... any pointers for him to add that muscle back, Lockie? Yeah, I saw uh, you downing double-strength protein shakes in the build-up to the show. Speaking of physical preparation <laughs> for the airwaves... Well, I mean, looking at me, clearly he should not be taking any tips. <laughs> uh, quite the opposite, in fact, Josh. But I, I just look at that midfield sometimes, and I, as individual players, Neil Kilkenny, Stephen Lustiger, I like them both. Uh, I think they add good things. As a double pivot... I'm not so sure. I'm not sure that it's a it's a you know 26 game season midfield partnership. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, I don't know whether Aloisi will deviate from a winning team because no, they kept it tight. Um, you know, his his problem in Brisbane wasn't really scoring goals. It was, and yes, he had an inform Adam Taggart up front, of course, but it was conceding goals was the issue. Uh, so if this team remains stout and stays in games, mm. I don't think he'll see the need for a radical overhaul. Yeah. Well, well. although judging on the entertainment value on the park on Friday, I think it would be welcome uh, given just how dead that game yeah. was. And that was due to Perth's conservatism, conservatism as well. Um, but I, I don't see Aloisi really uh, throwing out a brand new lineup or formation anytime soon. No, especially not when you've got the reigning champions as your next no. opponents uh, this weekend. And I think that'll be probably the biggest test of this. You know, we have, They have looked good defensively. I will give them that. They've looked really, really sharp, both Imai and Leo Lacroix when they've been playing, have been really sharp. Uh, of course, NTS came on at Nikolai Topol-Stanley. Sorry, those who aren't familiar with the acronyms, uh, came on at halftime. Um, but I think, yeah this will be the biggest test of that new look defensive steel we've seen from them so far next next weekend. Well, make sure you comment below, especially on the Twitch, which is uh, more live than the rest of the live streams, would you believe? Uh, Sardine 10, one of our favourites coming through. Guys, please rate MacArthur's new purchase. Speaking of defences, Adrian Mariapa coming over uh, to the Bulls from Bristol City, his last club, but notably... Play quite a bit of football for Crystal Palace and Watford in the and Premier Watford, yeah. League. A central defender can play right back as well. Jamaican international with 58 caps. He looks like a blue chip A-League signing to me. Yes, he is 35, but that's serious pedigree. I think this could be one of the signings of the season. Yeah, I, I, I think, like, I, I, I will admit that there have been plenty of times this season where I've raised question marks around MacArthur. I have maybe been critical of MacArthur. I don't think I'm alone in that. I think they've been a pretty easy target this season for a variety of reasons from a lot of different audiences. However, this is this is a 10 out of 10. For, for me, I mean, obviously we have to see how Mariapa plays, but I, you never he, know. he's played almost every season of his career, either in the Premier League or in the Championship, and played consistently as well. Like, sure, he's 35, but it's a good pedigree. Um I I really don't see, and I think it's an area of the pitch where MacArthur could use some extra reinforcement. It's a sign that fills a need. It's a good quality one. It's a good name. It's good pedigree. I I, I just don't really see any reason to to detract from this. I think I think everyone's just waiting to see what he can do. And where does he slot in? Does Uzcock potentially move into midfield once he's available? I don't know if that's what I'd want to see, but it is an option. Yeah, it, it, might, they're, they're it, might be, it may well be what Milicic will. I mean, with. they played Tommy Orr uh, <laughs> with Charles Mamombwa uh, against Sydney FC, which we'll get into a bit later. Mm. Uh, but 
you know, yes, they won that game. It seemed like a very specific plan for that one. And they seem a little short on deep central midfield players. So Uzcock being freed up from backline duties might actually be a boon for their versatility in squad yeah. composition. Well, well, we'll talk a little bit about MacArthur and the pretty solid win they had against Sydney FC towards the end of the show. Uh, but I think the Western United Perth glory game is, is probably, we've spent enough time talking about it. We can probably just all turn the page over in the A-League men's diary and just, you know, forget that it ever happened, which is probably how Tom Glover and Jordan Boss felt on the weekend when their <laughs> error, their mix-up, <laughs> uh, I think one mixed up slightly more than the other, but we'll get into that led to... Uh, Comrade Ben Halloran scoring a late, late equaliser for Adelaide in a two-all draw with Melbourne City in the city of churches. Try saying that three times fast. Mm-hmm. This was a, a good quality game. Uh, a bit it's nervy exciting. if you're a City fan, but for neutral watchers, big tick. Yeah, it was It was a good Good Friday night. Oh, sorry, Saturday night matchup main, main game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, look, Ben Halloran's goal in the last... Uh, throw of the game was uh, very much put down as a defensive mistake. Uh, bad decision by Tom Glover, really hung his young teammate out to dry with yeah. that pass and, and Bose didn't do himself any favours by, by trying to turn towards the goal. Blind turn in your own back third in the corner mm. when you've got Ben Halloran behind you. But he didn't know he had Ben Halloran. No, that's and true. And that, the reason he, that he didn't know is because Ben Halloran craftily snuck up on him from the blind side and anticipated the pass so early. Mm. He was already running before Glover even made contact with the ball to shift it to yeah. both. So he, he saw that coming a mile away. It was a really and, good anticipation. And, and the finish Glover was should have, But Glover primo. is the player who should have yeah, really, it's Glover's mistake. really seen it coming first. But before we delve any deeper into the analysis of this game, I'm just going to take a quick... Sipperoonie. Just a quick drinks break, which probably <laughs> doesn't make sense to do uh, during the middle but of the show. But it gives you an but opportunity to hear sense. from our sponsors. It makes, <laughs> it makes perfect sense to do uh, during the middle of an A-League game, apparently, uh, because that's exactly what happened in this game. They Would you like to extend w- that drinks break a little bit so I can tell the audience a little bit about Lanco Group, your business partner for engineering <laughs> solutions and a uh, proud partner of FNR? Wow, why would you ever have a drinks break and then cut to a commercial? So strange that that would happen in, in a Saturday <laughs> night game where the uh, surface temperature was 18 degrees. Uh, for those who are listening on podcasts, I just took a drink because uh, that's exactly what Adelaide United and Melbourne City did. Random drinks break in the middle of the game. You don't see it too often. Ten copped a lot of flack for it. Hopefully we don't see it again, drawing a line through that one. But honestly, I think on the on the balance of the game, this was, you know, City went out to a two-goal lead. Of course, they, they showed uh, their ruthlessness, I think. Adelaide were the better side in, uh, in the first 20 or so minutes. And then literally the first sniff that, that City got, they just cut them to, to absolute pieces, of course. Naboo made that bombing run down the net, the uh, the right-hand side, caught Josh Cavallo napping a bit, and within seconds, McLaren had, had the ball in the back of the net. Like, that's the ruthlessness that has led City to the title, and Sydney FC, I think, prior to that. You give them those opportunities, they will punish you every single time. Uh, and most people, I think, when City took a 2-0 lead, thought that the, the line was drawn through this game. Yeah, to it be. looked to be comfortable for City and it ended up being anything but. And I think that might be uh, down to, dare I say, City's... Uh, oh, how do I put this? It, it, it seems to be philosophy over uh, pragmatism here. It seems to be mm. a, a very rigid in- adherence to a style of play 
Um, and I, I think a lot of the time in the A-League, we see the team with less position, possession win games. We saw it in every decisive result this weekend, in fact. Um, but Melbourne City, a lot of the time, the areas that they keep the ball in when they're trying to see games out mm. uh, make them actually quite vulnerable. And I'm not just talking about the Halloran goal. I think there were several turnovers uh, that left them quite brutally exposed. And they, they could have managed this game a lot better than they did. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it came back to bite them. And I think what you're saying there goes back to something we were talking about last week about the idea, the actual concept of possession and how people perceive that as a statistic. Like possession for possession's sake looks good when you're checking the result the next day on, on FOTMOB, but it doesn't mean anything if you're circulating the ball in a horseshoe shape in your middle and back thirds of the pitch. Yeah, Like possession isn't, is, is deeper than the who had the most of it, what was the percentage share. It's, it's, a, it's a lot deeper than that. And I think there was a lot of that kind of negative possession for City in this game. And ultimately, you know, they, they, they paid the price for it. They did, of course, lead 2-0. But like we saw the previous week against Brisbane Raw, Adelaide got their tails up and crept themselves back into the game. I mean, Cassini Engi had a pretty quiet game up until about the 70th minute. But, God, he's just he's just so... Like, dynamic. The way he was dropping... Mm. Even in that 20-minute burst that he had where he was responsible for, you know, getting Stefan Mork's goal, which ultimately kick-started Adelaide back into this game. The way he was dropping off the front line to receive possession, quickly turning and facing and just trying to make things happen. He is just one of those players who can be on and off, you know, like that. It's just so quick. And when he turned, shot from distance, it came off the post, off the back of Glover as well. Mork tapped it home. But... It completely, completely changed the dynamic before the, you know, the calamitous error from City's defence. What I like about Yangi is he just tries things. There's just absolutely no fear about the way he plays. He's always trying to be an agent of chaos, and uh, I really enjoy that. Sometimes it doesn't come off. Um, apparently, uh, his idol is Cristiano Ronaldo, and uh, I think he's he exhibits many of the same uh, irrational confidence signs, uh, but it works for him. I I, re- I enjoy it. I, yeah. I really enjoy his attitude. Agreed. There's so much fear in A-League players. And I'm not talking about, you know, them being wusses or something. I'm talking about uh, scared of giving the ball away, scared of doing the wrong thing, scared of disobeying the coach's instructions or taking a shot when there might be a teammate in a better position. Yangi yeah. has no such fears. He just plays on instinct and it's it's fabulous to watch. So and th- big raps on him. And I think Adelaide, that is the perfect kind of player for Adelaide. Like that, I think we've we've seen this game many times before, where Adelaide get a bit of momentum, the crowd gets behind them in a big fixture uh, at Hindmarsh, and they pull out these kind of results. Like I don't think this is the first instance of this. Probably even against Melbourne City in years gone by uh, that we have seen. But for City, as I mentioned, this is the second time in as many weeks where they did have that drop off in and around, you know, the seventieth, sixtieth minute of the pitch. They didn't make a substitution until the 81st minute. The week until before, they conceded. Until they conceded, it was reactive. They didn't make any substitutions. Well, the substitutions they did make the week before were just both of the Socceroos who were, you know, clearly being load managed, Andrew Naboo and Matthew Leckie. Um, is this a, is two games too early to be reading this as, as cause for concern? I'm just a little bit confused as to why Nathaniel Atkinson stayed home to play, get mm. fitness in a friendly game along with a couple of other players. Yeah. It was a bit strange to me. Um, 
I thought he could have been useful in this game, in, even as a substitute, maybe coming on for Galloway. It's easy to say in hindsight, but um, you know, uh, and I, it was Bose who came on instead. But look, I, I do feel as if the front line should have been uh, refreshed earlier. Yeah. Uh, more proactively, maybe at the 70th minute mark, you make that substitution and then you've got something for the opposition to answer rather than Adelaide building a response all the way up until the 81st minute and then suddenly changing the game when you concede. It it, uh, it does seem quite uh, result reactive, outcome reactive, and not, you know, Pas- Patrick Isnorbo likes to talk about the process yeah. a lot, but a lot of the time his decisions are in response to the result and not the process. And I suppose there's an argument to be made with you don't want to we- mess with a, a, a winning formula. They were two nil up pre the subs, but it's not as if looking at the quality that City have got on their bench, the young talents who will be, make no mistake, will be wanting minutes and depending on how that narrative plays out of the course of the season may have to come to the point of demanding minutes. Um, but it's, you know, it's not as if he can't afford or has the, doesn't have the bench quality to afford to be proactive and make those substitutions before bad things happen. But look, it's a game that ultimately City will come away from feeling like a loss. Uh, Jamie McLaren in his post-match interview certainly felt that way. That ruffled a Oof. few feathers. We don't have to- time to talk about that one, unfortunately. Uh, some people more happy with it than others. I thought it was completely fine, to be honest. But Adelaide, on the other hand, will be feeling like a massive win, which I think sets them up very nicely for a game next week against Brisbane Raw. I think Macca was absolutely steaming and you could tell. But I didn't. But think that's there was, fine. I didn't think there was anything wrong with what he said. I don't know what you say in that situation. To be I honest. didn't have. It, but I didn't. People were saying that he was throwing his teammates under the bus. I don't think he did. He didn't I, mention anybody. I don't think that he did that. And he had every right to be annoyed. And also, raw. Why? I think we do this weird thing in football where we complain when players that they aren't emotive enough. They stick to their yeah. scripts. They're pre-game narratives. They talk to the talking points, and that's all they do. And then when players do show this raw emotion in the heat of the moment, we're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. It's, it's not very professional. So we need to pick a lane. <laughs> we need to pick a lane. But I'd, as li- a- I'd prefer, as someone in the media industry, that players gave us a little bit more uh, than what they do than Honestly, the media rehearsed lines. J- message to Jamie McLaren. If you're still angry, you are more than welcome to give it both barrels to us uh, for the content. That would be completely fine. Uh, hopefully you can give it both barrels to Western United as they come up uh, against your team on the weekend. I don't know why I'm still speaking to Jamie McLaren if if he's here. But anyway, uh, Adelaide, of course, will go on next week to play Brisbane Raw, who we'll be talking about with ESPN's Ante Jukic on the other side of the break, as well as the Popolution. But primarily, it will be time, Josh, after this uh, quick word from our sponsors for a Raw coin update. A Raw coin update coming to you very soon. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind Topo Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! He's yeah! Up like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And Diamante again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick from Maria. Welcome back here on the Oz Football Hour. It is an absolutely scorching day here in Melbourne. Josh, I know this is like probably... A culture shock, mm. having come back from Canberra this morning. But I figured you could use some extra heat and we could always, with the weather, use plenty of hot takes. And there was really, with that in mind, only one person to come to, wasn't there? Yes, indeed. And if I'm feeling uh, climate shock now, I feel like Brisbane Raw <laughs> flying in and out on game day. I'm not sure uh, how I'm going to feel when, once the heat in the room rises <laughs> and Ante Jukic comes to the fore. Ante, welcome to the Oz Football Hour. 
Hello, Josh. Hello, young boy. Hello, everyone out there in uh, soccer radio land. Uh, nice to be here. Yeah, I mean, have you recovered from your uh, your four hour train journey that uh, ruled you out? You're a DNP on the I, national curriculum on Sunday. I uh, I drove back. Actually, I did not catch the V line. Uh, I did. I caught the V line on the Friday, and I forgot how nice it was to to have an app on the V line. Um, you know, just help with the load management on Friday. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, just you know, after five months off season, you know, I couldn't really back up on the Sunday. Yeah, it's, we'll see how we go. Got to play it by you. Well, hot day today, but it was a beautiful day on Sunday as well here in Melbourne. Actually, you know, we'll leave we'll leave victory for now. We'll start off with probably the the game of the weekend, uh, at least from a from a brand perspective. Of course, as you guys would both say, the big ticket uh, item of the A League this season, the Newcastle Jets air two all draw with Western Sydney Wanderers. I did not watch this game live. You guys always say they're box office, but I'll tell you now, they're also quite good on demand. So that's fine, Ante. What, <laughs> what did you make of this game? Um. <laughs> probably this game more than more than any of the other games this round kind of encapsulated how the second round was more just an extension of everything that's happened in the first round with respect to individual team dynamics. Um, we saw, you know, we, what we saw in the first first weekend against uh, Central Coast, we you know, kind of saw again against Western Sydney and Newcastle, Newcastle are going to be very entertaining. They're going to play some really attacking and expansive football, but they're also going to be really volatile and they're also going to finish games rather strongly. Whereas Western Sydney, they have this potentially great team and great squad, but they're not utilised correctly. So they're just, irrespective of the shot volume and shot quantity that they had on Sunday, the quality of shots was um, you know, was rather questionable. And when it came to big chances, if you want to call it that, you know, they were pretty much even. Mm. Well, I mean, you you mentioned Newcastle as, as being strong finishers and that's something we'll see from them over the course of the season. But they had a pretty strong start in this game as well and, and mm-hmm. could well have been, you know, they did take the, the one goal lead early on through um, through Mikkeltadze from the penalty spot, but they could have easily been a lot further clear from that. I got the sense that, Watching this game, um, there's just as we saw in the first week, just such a unity of purpose for Newcastle at the moment. Like they're all, there's a lot of incorporative players, the new players, particularly Mikkeltadze. Um, you know, Pena has shown he can pull things out of his proverbial uh, at a moment's notice um, at patches throughout the game. But they seem to just have this cohesion that Western Sydney didn't, and at least in that first sort of you know, 30 minutes before um, Abini's fortuitous equaliser. <laughs> to me, it felt like Newcastle were showing, and you can agree or disagree, but Newcastle was showing what Western Sydney could be. Like there is, there is enough quality there for them to play as a really attractive, um, energetic, cohesive unit, which is what Newcastle were doing. Western Sydney, great quality on paper, but weren't able to make that same thing happen. I mean, they were literally limited to Bernie Abini iso ball for the first 30 minutes. Yeah. And that's not good. Um, I, I wouldn't say energetic with Western Sydney, um, but they can nevertheless be effective and expansive and attractive. Like, you know, and not necessarily attractive, but it's more important that this is what would lead them to function as a team. And at the moment with how, like, Robinson has basically composed this squad 
and gone about not maximizing it. Like I, I just can't understand the logic there, you know, despite the small sample size. Um, he can go like, and this is something that I kind of observed over the weekend. I think Western Sydney may be the most prominent example of this, but they're, they're not alone in the idea or the sense that they can just be so much better than what's currently put out there. Um, yeah, like I said, Western Sydney are probably just the most prominent example of it. They can utilise better as much player than what they are are doing to this point. Do you think it's selection? Is it formation? Is it the players not having a clear idea of how to incorporate each other and, and what to do with the ball? I think it's a combination of all three of those things. Um, selection impacts to a, to a degree, but I think you know, initial composition and however much people might not buy into the idea of formation, I think it's important with respect to starting position at least because from there, because the defence and the opposition works off your starting position, which then impacts the possibilities for spatial occupation. Um, and so with respect to Western Sydney, I think it's I think it's rather profound um, in relation to who they have on the pitch which then consequently, you know, creates this confusion as to what they're actually supposed to be doing on the pitch. And so, like I said, it's just this combination of all three. I mean, I think there's ideas about spacing um, that you're bringing up. I think that was sort of most, or it seemed to me to be most apparent in the midfield where so many players, and particularly Angus Thurgate, just constantly finding pockets and spaces to like move into always wanting to make that run in behind and support a teammate wherever he can. And on the other half, there was a lot of, I, I was, I was employing a bit of the, the Ante Jukic freeze frame just to, just to look at the team out on the pitch at certain points. And there were so many, so many patches of this game where the mid third of the pitch was just completely empty for Western Sydney. And even when there was maybe a midfielder in the hole, I found that particularly um, Newcastle did really well to, to get coverage to whoever the deep lying midfielder was, like Yugakovic, really slow start in this game, I thought, um, because of the 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 numbers that they were getting to the ball. So I think that was really um, that area of the pitch. I think speaks to that idea of spacing. Yeah, look, midfielders impact what you can, what teams can do, and however good Ugarkovic and Antonis could. You know, are in individual senses, Robinson clearly doesn't know how to utilize them properly. And I think, and that's probably the most, let's say, lamentable aspect of all this because they do have a really, or potentially a really, really good midfield. And Robinson doesn't, doesn't, at least at this point, hasn't utilized them. And he should. Um, but at the same time, uh, we kind of saw what we saw in the first week with respect to Angus Thurgate and, and even in preseason with respect to Angus Thurgate, he's going to be someone who will make things happen. He's got like a nose for an action. Like he's got, he's got this very good positional sense, but whether he can then realize what he creates from a positional sense, you know, is another aspect or another element to, you know, understanding what, Angus Thurgate is and what Angus Thurgate can do as a footballer. Um, to this point, it's been positive. But the thing about Newcastle, they're a team of, moment, of pretty pretty significant momentum swings. Uh, and how much of that is a consequence of 
the way they play, we'll, you know, we'll probably see more evidence with respect to that. But um, the, the, the fact that Yulman has now left Grossos out to dry for two weeks running, um, I think that's probably the biggest aspect uh, with respect to Newcastle, their centre-back pairing. Um, however much Topol Stanley might have been might have been, let's say, questionable in terms of level in the A-League. Uh, Burgard was a very underrated figure for Newcastle, especially when he was absent, you know, in, in previous seasons when he would have been injured. You could see the effect that he had when he came back. And I think that's low-key the biggest uh, the biggest piece in terms of finding a, a capable replacement. I want to talk about Antonis and why he keeps being made peripheral in, in all of the teams that he moves to. Why does he never end up being the centrepiece of the midfield? In this this team, he's sort of kept deeper. He's restricted in what he can do. I always feel that Antonis' best position is, is the most advanced of a, of a midfield three where he can receive the ball in tight and, and create in the final third. But uh, in this in this system, it seems to be feed the ball to Dimi Petrados and then he can spam shots and crosses into the box. Yeah, and, and like we were saying on on the national curriculum in the up to the first week, this this team and this system is subservient to Dimi Petrados, who is one of the most indulgent players in the league. And I think you know Western Sydney's ceiling will be defined by that as a team. Uh, Antonis should effectively be like he might not have a motor or you know this you know, this ground coverage, but if you give him the freedom to be able to move into certain positions, um, he will allow teams to function. Um, another one we saw this week, yeah, to make a nice segue into this is Matty Steinman. Um, they're very similar in that respect. You need to, they, their physical skill set or their physical capabilities create certain trade-offs with, with regards to what they can do tactically and their understanding of positions. And with regards to Brisbane, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if he's maximised and that goes for Roman Bari as well. 31 shots in this game for Western Sydney. Uh, this team is obviously getting volume up front, but they seem to only score off opposition mistakes. Mm, yeah. So <laughs> they're not the only ones in the A-League in that regard. <laughs> no, they're not alone. But, I mean, the pundits were hammering them. Andy Harper in particular very harsh on Western Sydney's performance. Are we not giving Newcastle enough credit for the way in which they stopped the Wanderers playing? I mean, this, but this could be applied to the Sydney game as well. It's not like Sydney stopped them, you know, the, the Wanderers kind of shoot themselves in shoot themselves in the foot, um, or, or at least they minimise the scope of what they can actually do. And there is this perception of dominance, which is you know, again, speaking of the Wanderers not being alone in Australian football, there is this perception of dom- dominance that comes with possession, and that's simply not the case because they're not really putting the opposition defence under pressure. And. Obviously, we saw Jack Rodwell as well make a 30-minute cameo off the bench. And so it doesn't seem like these uh, issues of composition and balance are necessarily going to get much easier for Carl Robinson uh, in the weeks. No. Yeah. Well, perhaps that uh, that grey note is, is as good a sign as any that we should move on to the other Sunday fixture, which was played in a lot brighter circumstances, I think, uh, I think Jimmy Bullard would, would have said that football was the real winner on Sunday when 30,000 victory fans turned up in, you know, in the nice weather and, and watched their side 
really de- demolish Brisbane, at least from a, from a scoreboard perspective. Most people are, are, are taking this game and starting it off with the perspective of what it means for Melbourne Victory. I want to invert that. I want to I want to go straight to straight to Brisbane Raw because we are all thank you. We are all early stage uh, Raw Coin investors, uh, and our stocks took a little bit of a hit over over the weekend. Ante, this Brisbane side on the weekend looked uh, a far cry in some respects from the you know, the performance we saw against Melbourne City. What what do you think was the reason behind uh, such uh, such a stark difference in in performance? Changing game state, uh, quite simply, the changing game state. Brisbane were the active team, less space to attract, less space to penetrate, creating certain, uh, creating certain, uh, sorry, creating certain, let's say, uh, responsibilities on dynamics between players. And I think what was what was kind of. Uh, what was kind of intriguing was how disconnected they were in possession. And that was probably the, let's say the most significant aspect of this game. However much people wanted to talk about victory being back victory, rah, rah, rah. They're, you know, going to win the title from here. They're back. The fans are back. The you know, sun is shining. The sky isn't falling anymore. Like people just have to relax because this was one game. And frankly, this was a game that did suit victory. Um, however, however, there is a small caveat that victory did put themselves in best position to win the game and, you know, take advantage of the circumstances because they were well prepared. Um, I remember speaking to uh, an unnamed, an analyst who will go unnamed from Melbourne Victory, speaking to him about what he thought, what he thought, what was going on at halftime and what we was, what he was expecting from Brisbane. And, you know, we were able to use the Melbourne City game as a reference point. And, he, you know, there was an agreement and saying, yeah, and basically he's saying, yeah, we'll be ready for it. And then the third goal comes from specifically what they were ready for. Um, so, you know, hats off to victory and their, and their opposition analysis, analysis in that respect. However, that's, that's one thing that really struck me about Warren Moon in the press conference, because which, which coach wants to admit that they were outcoached in a game. And that was, uh, I think there are certain, there are certain details that he has to be mindful of if Brisbane are going to reach their you know, potential ceiling this season. Was it a matter of certain passing combinations and, and set routines playing out from the back that the victory took advantage <laughs> of in that respect? Uh, it was more, the second goal. Yes. Um, but that's also born of, like I said, you know, kind of dis- disjointed and dysfunctional dynamics in, in, Brisbane's possession. Uh, the third goal was had more to do with Brisbane defensively and how they were how they adjusted, you know, over the course of the ninety. Not even not only against Victory but also against City, um, and that's what Victory were were able to exploit. And that's why um, you know Rojas and Falami were able to come into the game as, in the way they did. You know, despite the fanfare for Rojas. Speaking of you know things and objects at Melbourne Victory being back, like this this game and Rojas' performance has to be taken with a pinch of salt in this one. So he's 100% passing completion statistics in the final third. Don't wow you as much as it wowed yeah. Georgia Yeomendale. Read it and weep, aren't they? Read it and weep. 
<laughs> I, I don't want to hear those honking takes, man. Like pass pass completion, you know, even even with respect to you know the final third, it doesn't necessarily like how are you impacting the team, you know, getting better shots on goal? Like where did victory where did victory's best chances come from? Like this is this was classic victory and classic Popovich. Like let's let's you know. Pump the brakes a little bit. I tell you which pass was completed, though. That cross under Falami's head. Because Falami's not scoring a header into the top corner unless the cross is inch perfect. And that was a nice delivery. Not just that, but it was also unmarked. Mm. And then, uh, or Falami was unmarked. And, you know, speaking of specific dynamics that aided Rojas and Falami, this was it. And, and I remember talking about it during the game and saying, yeah, Rojas and Falami are going to come into this. Um and they did essentially they both combined for the third goal and it was pretty pretty evident and you could tell that Pop, Popper was um or Popovich had had the Cheshire cat smile in you know afterwards because he knew a plan had come together and there's nothing more satisfying than that if, you know, from a prep, from a standpoint of match preparation it was a bit like a mark in peep show it was like stop actually rubbing my hands together <laughs> don't do that but uh, I was saying, I, I, we have half a mind to uh, nearly overdub that section from Ante before it's just Ante preferred really not to speak about that particular one, but uh, you're talking about. Look, how- I'd rather get I'd rather get paid for my opinions, but uh, but I'll but I'll uh, but I'll you know I'll drip feed them here. Goodness like. gracious! Well, uh, as as you said, you know the the dynamic did shift in this game. Uh, Falami and Rojas both grew into it. One player who at least came on and tried to shift the dynamic for for Brisbane, albeit not quite as successfully as he did the week before, was Luke Ivanovic. Is it a matter of for Warren Moon, like, uh, when, not if this guy is, is given a, a start? Like, but even if he starts, okay, even if he starts, what, like, how is he significantly changing how Brisbane plays from the start of the match with energy levels as, you know, as optimal as they could be? Um, yes, there are logistical, let's say, difficulties with respect to Brisbane, which is understandable. But from a tactical standpoint, I'm not sure, or like, or at least haven't been given enough given enough evidence to see how Ivanovic is really changing the dynamics of Brisbane from the start of a match, as opposed to coming on as a sub. Because I think he is taking advantage of you know depleting energy levels over the course of 90 minutes. Um, he is effective as a substitute. Okay. Uh, whether he, but whether yeah, where would whether he would be really different to a Milosevic, for example, is frankly arguable um but you know we can see there i think there are more pressing matters to attend to with respect to brisbane well explain that to a layman uh explain to me specifically aren't they because miliusnich <laughs> looks like a guy who operates at 100 miles an hour at all times and doesn't really uh receive the ball with his back to goal he doesn't control the ball very well oh, in he, tight does. Spaces. he does he does yeah but see that's the thing like he's willing to receive the ball in tight spaces but is he willing to lock it in and keep the ball in tight spaces mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a, you know very similar with Ivanovic as well. Ivanovic will you know he's okay with receiving the ball, but you know he's going to hot potato it at the slightest at the slightest inkling of pressure or perceived pressure. Um, mm. I think there are with you know although there is the hashtag clamor for Ivanovic, um, I'm not sure if he's the primary the primary concern from a standpoint of improvement for the rule. Well, if if Ivanovic is, in your view, not the answer for improving 
fortunes to the Brisbane Roar. What is like? Is it just as Warren Moon said in the the press conference, <coughs> as simple as the elimination of schoolboy errors, or, or is it something deeper? What oh, is it that needs you know, to change? I, 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 um, oh, for anyone who hasn't seen that press conference, I think um, I, that 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 schoolboy errors line was was just a fallacy. We'll say I and he to lead the witness just just a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice one. Um, yeah, and look, I he had to be. He, he had to be called out on that over the course of the press conference because it's frankly wrong. Um, and like I said, a coach didn't really want to admit he was being outcoached over, you know, in the game that had only just proceeded. But I think it had more to do with complexion than it did situation. And complexion kind of influenced those. They weren't unforced errors, they were forced errors. Yeah. And that's the, that's the distinction we have to make there. So with that in mind, uh, their first home game coming up next Saturday against Adelaide United, that strikes me as a bad matchup for Brisbane Raw because Adelaide have these wingers. You know, Halloran obviously influences the game. Uh, Goodwin, if he starts or if he comes off the bench, can deliver a ball. And they seem to struggle to uh, defend the wide areas in transition, Brisbane. We only need to we only need to you know look back at the last final series for Adelaide smash and grab in, uh, in Redcliffe. And... Mm-hmm. Brisbane lost in very what you know. Brisbane lost in that game, and it really became to be it came to be an encapsulation of their season as a whole. Um, so they had, Aldred's uh, one-legged performance was a, a decoy in that respect. It didn't, it didn't no, matter. Not necessarily. Not 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 simply that, but the manner in which um, you know there were dynamics in Brisbane possession that could that had that had a lot to be desired. Um, you know, they, like you said, their ability to defend wide areas as, you know, in transition and as a consequence of, you know, the possession and the control that they had, whether they would be able to realize the possession they and they had, whether they'll be, they would be able to capitalize on that with, through finishing and they were able to stay in games. They were able to be competitive and they, you know, they were able to be competitive against any team in the competition, mm. but whether they would be able to capitalize upon that is a different, uh, is a different question. And I think that's where certain, especially this season with the changes in, you know, in dynamics and who's playing where, um, I think that's going to possibly be a more, a more pertinent aspect of Brisbane's play this season. And Moon seem, seemingly has to, you know, uh, make an adjustment. Well, Look, results of that upcoming game against Adelaide notwithstanding, it does look like a difficult one. But it, it, it does seem as though it could be a, a difficult few weeks for raw coin investors. But long term, what what is your message for yeah. the invest group? Are you, are you saying hold firm on your yeah, look, I, I, th- I think I, I still think Moon has the capacity to adjust. Um, I think Brisbane are going to be strong regardless. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to remain competitive. It's not like they're, you know, they're not making finals or anything like that. They'll, they'll be, they'll be there. Um, but yeah, there are just minor details that they have to iron out. And, you know, if you have finals and you have six teams making the finals, like it's, it's not the end of the world. Well, before we let you go, Ante, a little word on Wellington 2, Central Coast Mariners 1. I thought the highlight of this game was Ben Wayne and Reno Piscopo fighting over the penalty kick at the end. <laughs> Actually, I, I was going to ask you this on the other side of the break, but Ante, I'll, I'll throw the question to you. It, suppose Josh and I were in a um, a vigorous debate about who would be taking a penalty. Who, do, who would you back in to, uh, to win that battle? <laughs> 
and eventually take and maybe score wills. or miss the penalty. Who knows? Uh, Josh. Yeah, no, I would probably say Josh as well. So no, good call, good call. <laughs> Josh, Josh, Josh would one back himself. Josh would you know, pull rank over you. I'm not sure whether he'd score though. Ooh. Yeah, I uh, I tend to watch <laughs> penalties. No, actually, that's not really true. I've never taken a penalty in a, a proper oh. stakes game. See, I have. So mm. there you go. Where'd you put it? Uh, bottom left. Shape, shape. So you're right footed. Yes. Shape to shoot, shape to shoot right, and then left, bottom left corner. Oh, just just hit the old the old Giroud technique. I, I have a, yes. a worrying tendency in training sessions to shape to shoot left, and then try and shoot right and shoot straight at the goalkeeper. That that, that would be my fear. So, well, now, whereas Ante would obviously go for the Penanka, the starter step. No, no, I'm hooking like left footer. I'm hooking uh, top right. All right, that so, was my go-to. So the Harry Maguire style Euro final, aim for the camera, <laughs> take it out. Like, look, aim, aim. I was, I was always aiming for side netting on the right um, as a left footer and hooking, hooking into the side netting. Then, perhaps Ben Wayne should maybe listen to this back on. on the <laughs> it was a good save. Just it wasn't a, a terrible no, no, that's penalty. That's true. That's true. Birgitte um, is one of the best goalkeepers in the league. He's going to keep Mariners in games. Uh, it's a good point. It just seems crazy that it. In a game, it manages to come to that, though, that players are still like, yeah. <laughs> tussling with I mean, you this is what to, Rob yeah, Papers is think, made for. <laughs> no, but look, I think I think you have to have contingencies in place, at least from, you know, you, this is a professional team. This is this should, like, you know, this might happen at, you know, Sunday League or, you know, whatever, but like this shouldn't be happening for professional teams. Like you should have, you know, these plans in place for you know, for specific scenarios. Um, well, apparently, it was Piscopo's to take, and according to the instructions from the coach, but uh, Ben Wayne ignored them. So I don't know whether yeah, he'll be getting any minutes next week. It's not that. It's, uh, that it's this uh, you can deal with this in certain ways. Like you can, you know, the, taking away his minutes could be one. You could fine him another. Um, there are it depends on the it depends on the individuals involved but um if piscopo was you know, let's say given that responsibility to take the take the penalties before the games then it should fall on him um irrespective of whether you know he won the penalty or not um yeah that's frankly unacceptable like let's say within a team environment like that shouldn't be happening i mean fortunately for for wellington it it, it counted for Norton in the end. They did end up taking three <laughs> points anyway. It would have been a lot worse if that didn't happen, but I digress. Was this 2-1 result for, uh, what are we calling them? The, the Wollongong Phoenix? The Wellington Wolves? I'm, I haven't made my mind up. But anyway, you know the team I'm talking about. Was it a fair reflection, three points to, to Wellington in this game? Yeah, because I don't, I don't think the Mariners showed much. Like, I know it's all relative and, you know, Wellington weren't necessarily, you know, jumping off the screen, but I think um, they deserve more out of that game than the Mariners. And, you know, and even the Mariners in the first game, a lot of it was, a lot of it was influenced by game state in that game uh, against Newcastle. And especially, you know, having spoken already about the volatility of Newcastle, I think they capitalized upon that. I frankly don't think the Mariners are going to be very good this season. 
Well, it seems as if the lesson from the weekend is uh, give the other team the ball and you will win. 59% for the Mariners. Uh, how do you win with the ball in the A-League? Um, better midfields, smarter midfields, risk, quite simply. Like we've been talking about this for years and finally the penny's dropping. Like it's, it makes me like, uh, I, I, if I speak, if I speak, <laughs> uh, that's all I'm going to say. I tell you, deferred to speak on this, and on that particular <laughs> subject, I also cannot go into detail. Well, I feel like better midfields, smarter midfields, risk is like the Ante Jukic campaign slogan. I think that's probably a good note to end it on. Ante, if people are looking for your work across the week, and I have no doubt that they will, where can they find it? Uh, it will be on ESPN, and they can you know, they can read my work. If they don't, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. If, if so, then, you know. I don't know if you like it, if you like it, if you don't like it, that's okay. But I'm not good at selling myself here okay, if you well, haven't okay, noticed. Okay, well, if Andre's not going to put himself over, then we should. It, it'll make you think, even if you disagree with it. And, you know, the, the scouting <laughs> report on overseas uh, soccer is a new feature from you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, did, I, wasn't a, I wasn't a huge fan of the Cam Devlin criticism as a Hearts fan. Just a, I prefer blind loyalty, but it's okay. I'll tell you, you did make some good points. Uh, there, will, there will also be one coming up in the, in the next week. So if, you know, about that, uh, it's always something that I guess even on a personal level, I've always wanted from Australian footballing mm-hmm. coverage. So, you know, let's provide it if, if you know, if it's not out there. Yeah. So um, if you do like it, share it. If not... Oh, it's all good. Well, I think I speak for both Josh and I when we say that we're glad that the person sharing that is you. You are truly best place. Ante, as always, thank you very much for your time. I know you've got to go uh, out to the backyard and practice your penalties and show, show Ben Wayne where he hurt. So thanks once again for joining us. Uh, Josh, we're going to head to a break, and on the other side, we're going to be clearing through the rest of the A-League fixtures and discussing a little bit about uh, Sydney getting basically Sydneyed in many respects, but more on that on the other side of the break. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind Topo Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Yeah! I'm a salmon, a again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick from Josh Parrish and Lockie Flanagan back for the final time on the Oz Football Hour for tonight. We have... Daniel Sturridge level of minutes uh, left to play with on this show, which means we have pretty much nothing to give. No. But uh, we've got one more A-League game to get through, so we're going to race through that one. Before we do, Sardine answering the question from our interview with Ante Jukic. Should it be the Wellington Wolves? Should it be the Wollongong Phoenix? It should be Wellingong. That is the Wellingong. correct answer. That's the correct answer. <laughs> I love it. But uh, Sydney FC against MacArthur Bulls, the final game of the weekend. A 1-0 win for MacArthur, the goal being scored by... L.A. Rose? La Rose? L.A. Rose. However you like it, it kind of sounds like a you know an American sort of Vice City style mm, detective Yeah, it's film. like a cop show. Yeah. Uh, but a nice goal uh, set up by the creative genius, not just of Ulysses Davia, but also of Daniel De Silva. It's nice what they can do when they're unleashed, isn't it? Exactly. Both of them actually given the freedom to run when they do have the ball. It's amazing. It is amazing what you can do when you give your best players scope to do the things they are best at. Well, originally I thought the assist from De Silva with the outside of his left foot was just a stab at the ball and it happened to fall to Lockie Mm. Rose. Not so on repeated examinations of the replay. I'm pretty sure he spotted Lockie Rose out of his peripheral vision 
and intentionally turned it around the corner, splitting two Sydney FC defenders in the process. Mm. I mean, magnifique from yeah, Mr. But again, again, as we've touched on a few times in the show, MacArthur showing not possessing the ball, uh, making Sydney play is the way. Often over the, I think I would ask you, is this the blueprint? Have they provided the blueprint? I think Wellington have done this kind of thing in previous seasons to Sydney. No, The team, Mariners have as well. The, the Mariners as well. I think the Newcastle Jets have a case to make over recent years too. Um, this is the way. And often these are the sort of games where Milos Ninkovic puts a team on his back and makes things happen. Uh, I think if Max Burgess was playing with him, he could have maybe done that. The two could have combined to pull Sydney out of the wreckage. But when Milos Ninkovic doesn't have that generational game, turns it around, mm. Sydney are left, the rest of Sydney are left to their own devices, um, this is what can happen. It's not alarming. We've seen this result for Sydney before, but it is a concerning thing to think about. And More teams may work this out. Steve Corica in the Sydney Morning Herald today saying, we're not changing. We don't need to change. So uh, have fun with that. Uh, FA Cup games coming up tomorrow night. Hume City, Melbourne City. Great game. Yeah, they're going to be fun. Busy at week for Hume. Wollongong Wolves versus Central Coast Mariners. Mariners with PTSD from uh, the uh, Wellington upset. Phoenix defeat. Uh, upset. Yeah. yeah. You're hearing it louder and louder, folks. <laughs> you really are. And the Doherty Cup final in here, here in Victoria finally being played on Sunday. That's Avondale versus Hume. So a busy week for Hume City. But they have plenty of new signings at their disposal, as we saw in the last round against Port Melbourne, to strengthen them coming into the game in Avondale. And we're hearing a full-strength squad for that one. That's being streamed at 3 p.m. on the uh, Football Victoria channels. Yeah. Well, it is a big weekend of football in a cup sense, in a league sense as well. Plenty of awesome football, but we're not going to talk about any more of it, unfortunately. I've got a, a four-hour flight to get to. Uh, I'm not really looking forward to it. I may pull out. It may later be found out that I actually have an injury, but that is where we'll leave it for tonight. Are you okay with our boss uh, going on a public forum and uh, informing Yes, but only if the other boss comes out and defends me a few days later on Twitter. So I'll get on the phone to the CEO. He needs to do a post in his notes, which is screenshotted and then (laughs) posted on Twitter. That's the only way I'll be happy with my four-hour abrupt absence being explained but we are stumbling our way out of this uh but if you're still hanging around on the twitch don't go anywhere because a big big show on the other Mm. side of this break radio dub with bakua frimpong a huge huge a-league women's preview with one of the best in the business mr joey lynch coming up very shortly victory looking to build barbarousas is quick is he in behind top or stanley it doesn't matter costa barbarousas Unbelievable kick from Mafia.